Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is the illustrious Kelly Guma. Kelly, welcome. <laughs> Hi, John. It's really nice to be here again. Kelly is a longtime podcaster, contributing editor for the Mac Observer, the glorious host of the Mac Observer's Daily Observation Podcast, a tech support guru, and following the volunteer of AppCamp for Girls. Maybe we can talk about that real quick, get an update. But today... As we typically do, we're podcasting background mode from my office, the John and Kelly Show edition, wherein we discuss our favorite <laughs> movies and TV shows. Yes. I love getting to do these. Uh, I It's always a really good time because you and I sometimes don't have a lot in common when it comes to TV shows. And so it's a nice change to be able to talk to somebody who's watching something new. And I learn a lot from you, too. And uh, get clued in on shows I may have missed that are of interest. So, uh, would you like to start? Sure. Um, one of the things that uh, I uh, just recently watched, and I want to talk about it a little bit because uh, how they went about this to me, anyway, was pretty interesting. And that is uh, The Politician, which is a Netflix program. And it comes from Ryan Murphy, whose name may sound familiar to people who watched uh, other stuff that he did, like um, he did Glee and he did Nip Tuck and a few other shows. Um, he just signed a great big Netflix deal. And so um, he's been doing a bunch of uh, Netflix stuff. And this is the first one. And the thing that's interesting to me about it is that uh, it started life, this show, uh, started out, they went in knowing it was going to get two seasons right from the beginning. So they have a little more time to set everything up and tell the story of what's happening in the show. Uh, it's a show about uh, a high school student who's played by Ben Platt, um, who may sound familiar to people who follow Broadway stuff. He was in Dear Evan Hansen and people really liked his, his performance there. Um, he stars as a high school, a high school student who's running for student body president, but he's running for student body president, not because he wants to be student body president, but because he wants to be president of the United States. I have, a burning 100%, question. I have a yeah. burning question. Does the show story arc into his presidency or does the story arc focus on his high school life and his ambitions to be president? That I don't know. Uh, what I can tell you now is that um, the end of the first season, there's only one season available right now, uh, but there will be two, like I said. And uh, the, and uh, the, the first season is primarily concerned with his bid for student body president. Mm -hmm. And he is 100% convinced this is a thing that's going to happen. And he's a high school senior, so he's got a lot of other stuff going on. He has to uh, get into college, and it's a very uh, wealthy neighborhood that he lives in. So, uh, and, and where he goes to school and there's, uh, other characters that come into play and, uh, the whole thing is, is pretty interesting to watch. And at least a couple of times, uh, there was something that happened that I had no idea was coming and it was kind of fun to watch the fallout from that sort of as a surprise of, you know, Oh, and then this happened, you know, um, is the young man confronted at this early age with compromises to become student body president? As a foretaste of the compromises they'll have to make in the future? Um, I'm just curious. 
that's a really interesting question and I don't have a good way to answer it without telling you stuff I don't think you need to know yet. <laughs> I, um, I need to know. I have a security clearance. I need to know. There's okay. So there's, um, well, let me put it this way. As we've all, as we've all sort of known over time and, and seen and watched happen to people, right. Um, there's, there's stuff that politicians say because they're politicians and there's, you know, and there's things they have to do because they're politicians. Mm-hmm. And so we hear like we we've seen a lot of this already. And it's a thing that is sort of a known quantity to most people is that there are times when politicians say things and they may not actually mean them. Oh, my. And I know that that might sound revolutionary to some people. I'm I'm not giving anything away. (laughs) I thought you might be. Um, And so uh, part uh, like. You know, the the presidency that he's running for as student body president, like, here's the thing about it is that he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to be student body president. He wants to be the president of the United States. And he's of the opinion that in order to do that. Why does he want to be president? Does he want to be president because he thinks he's called to serve or does he want to be president because he is seeking power? uh, He... Dis, like he decided when he was seven or eight years old, he woke up. He says, I think in the show, like I woke up one morning and knew that I would be the president of the United States. And so everything he does is to make that happen. So he applies to school. The, but, but, he only applies but, but, to but neutral, neutral aspect into it in the, in the sense that it's without adornment. He just simply wants to be president without any underlying um, motivation or desire to serve. Just wants to be president. Right. It's just, the thing he he has decided that he's going to do with his life. Does that make the series sterile? Not even a little. Interesting. Interesting. And so, yeah, and so that's why I don't want to tell you more about it because he has to he has to wrestle with a number of things as and and sort of live with the consequences of like this is a thing I want to do or I have to say a particular thing because I want to be because I want to be president. And so because of that, like I have to start by being student body president. So here's what I'm doing. And the whole thing becomes a really interesting look at all kinds of politics, personal politics, like, you know, different, like all the people that are involved and what they think they need to be doing uh, in order to help him, like the people who do help him, um, what, the what the cost of some different things are you know as you're yeah, running a campaign and making sure. decisions and um and so uh it became it became a very interesting thing to watch and to consider um especially with uh the the world that we live in now so i'll have to check it out okay let's move on We've got number two okay here. you want to do fleabag or billions <laughs> oh is it all my picks your picks we're just getting all mine out of the way. Yeah, we'll do yours. Um, okay. So, uh, Fleabag is, so I don't remember if I said, but Billion or, um, the politician is a show on Netflix. And so the thing that's interesting to me about it is that they have a season out right now and, uh, they're filming the second season now. They, they, it was already written and everything. Uh, so, uh, part of my issue when I went into it was I got to the end of the first season and I went, 
you can't stop there. Like you've just set me up for a whole new story. And this is the last episode of the season. I'm super upset. So I went to the internet and found out because I wanted to find out what information I could about the second season. And it turns out it already exists and they wrote it and they're shooting it right now. And the politician hasn't been available on Netflix very long. So it's not like you're going to have a massive wait for the second season, but at least you already know that's where it's going. So when you get to the end and you're like, but wait, that's a terrible place to stop. It's because they're not stopping there. They're just setting up the next season, which is already a foregone okay. conclusion that it exists and is going to happen. Public because that's what happened to me. And I was very upset. <laughs> public service announcement. Carry over from the last show. And with an E, season three starts January 2nd. Or thereabouts. Just so which you one? know. And with an E, which I've been desperately oh, waiting yeah, for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Season three starts Excellent. January 2nd. So let's move. All right. We've got to move on. That's good to know. All right. Um, so my second pick, uh, and I have to, um, I have to fully disclose this is billions on Showtime. And the full disclosure here is that, uh, there's an actor on the show who's a friend of mine who I know personally. And so that, um, I did not know him when I started watching the show. So I will, I will put that on the record. Uh, but, uh, it's, a, it, the show is, is, it's one of those sort of like the Sopranos in that you are sort of watching people who aren't necessarily good people making decisions and like fighting with the outcome of those decisions in certain cases. Mm. And so um, the, the setup of billions is that it's a financial show basically. Uh, so it, it's about a firm on wall street and Ooh, that's the one with Paul Giamatti. Yeah. And Paul oh, Giamatti. Like yeah. And he is the, and here's the thing is like, uh, it's, it's, it's similar to breaking bad in that the people who like, when you hear the description of them, like you think, Oh, clearly that's a good guy. Clearly that's a bad guy. And it's not that clear. So hmm. that's the thing about it that I really like. Um, so this all takes place on Wall Street. There's a guy named uh, Bobby Axelrod is his name. And he's played by Damian Lewis, who kills it. Um, and uh, his and he ha- he runs uh, Axe Capital, which is this hedge fund firm. And uh, Paul Giamatti plays the U.S. attorney who uh, has like has never lost a case and has a vested interest in making sure that because he has a he has a pretty solid suspicion that something that Bobby Axelrod is doing is probably shady and he wants to take him down for it. He knows he, he knows, you know, there's something that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. I don't know what, but I know there's something and I'm going to fix that. And so Mm. it's sort of the story of the two of them doing battle. And then of course, like everything that's going on in their lives and you know, who their families are and how this impacts them and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it is super, super fun. And, uh, the, the, the actor I'm friends with is Kelly Coin, and, uh, he plays a character called dollar bill. (laughs) Of course. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I know him, but I, like I said, I, I was a fan of the show before I ever got a chance to really, uh, spend a lot of time hanging out with him or anything. So, um, isn't it on Netflix as well as Showtime? Um, I'm not sure where you can stream this aside from the Showtime app. Oh, okay. I thought I saw it on Um, Netflix. Maybe it's a different one. It might be on Netflix. Yeah. Um, 
All right, we got time for one more. Okay, and my last one is from Amazon Prime. And uh, the show is called Fleabag. And uh, the thing that... The thing that I really like about this show is that it's uh, like the the primary character is uh, is this woman who is played by Phoebe Waller Bridge, who wrote the wrote the show as well. And she um, like she's always trying to do her best, but she's not apologetic about the stuff that she doesn't do a great job at. So. She's a really interesting character because she's not perfect and she's not um, attempting to be perfect. She just kind of gets to this point where she sort of wants to suck a little less. So set a broader stage for us. Who is this woman? Why is she in the story and where does it take place? Okay, so um, it's like present day. um, And uh, I'm trying to... How can I? Isn't it in the UK? Yeah, it's a it's a British show. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, but it's sort of a a current, like a, a present day sort of thing, and uh, the whole the like the setup of her life all happens in the first episode. Like you find out who she is. She has a sister, and uh, her and her dad don't really get along, and you find out why, and you and you find out um like sort of i'm not going to give it away i know it's the first episode but i'm not going to give it away um you find out why she's sort of in this state that she's in and like you can tell why why should we watch it well when you watch the first episode uh it's pretty clear really early on and i mean like a few minutes in that uh she's a disaster area like there should be cones and caution tape all the way around this woman. <laughs> and, but you can tell that like, she's, she's struggling with that. And she, and, and like near the end of the episode, I got this feeling that she was sort of stuck where she was and was trying to change that. And you find out why she's stuck and what happened and how, uh, and, and basically it's her trying to cope with, where she's at and the situation that she's in. And, uh, and I find her really interesting in the way that I found Jessica Jones really interesting oh. in that, uh, she's complex. She's working on more than one axis at a time. You know, um, she's, she's not perfect and she doesn't have like the perfect neighbor or anything like that. And this is, this is one of those shows that is not about like, there's a mystery that needs solving or anything like that. Right. This is very character driven. This is, yeah, this is all character driven. This is about her and her life and how she's, she's trying to work it out and you find out what she's trying to work out. And, you know, and sort of how, like, what she's doing to cope with where she is and what sort of defense mechanism she's built and how well they work and how stable they are. And, like, all of us sort of have that in a certain way. Like, everybody has a defense mechanism that they use for, like, when it hits the fan and things like that. Mm. And and some of those are pretty well constructed and, and, and some of them work very well. And those two things don't have to be related. You can build them badly and have them work. And you can build a really great one that just isn't helping you at all. And so sort of watching somebody go through that and particularly watching 
a woman because that piece is is sort of what's unusual here is getting to see a woman have all these feelings and not be perfect and fail at stuff and like i said before you know be a complete disaster and try to come back out of that and you know, and and watching how that happens and like there's been i'm not all the way through the first season yet um, and I will tell you that so far there's already been a couple of moments where I sort of felt uncomfortable because I felt like I was eavesdropping on somebody and hearing a conversation I shouldn't be hearing mm. because it was just riveting to watch what was happening and like how open and emotional and all of that. Like it's all right there on the screen in front of you. But I will also point out that this show is hilarious i cannot repeat anything as an example of that because i know that you do not want an explicit tag so i will point out this is definitely an adult oriented program okay is it inspiring Uh, or is it a downer um overall i feel like it's inspiring because even in the position that she's in she's still able to sort of laugh at some things and have some moments of genuine humor and so like Uh, I'm four episodes into the first season. There's only six episodes in the first season. And uh, so far it still seems like I'm still enjoying it. And it's not one of those, like it's so good, you know, like that's, you know, like people will often say about a real bummer of a show. Like, you know, when you're done, you feel a little bit depressed, but it's so good. Right. Um, This is not that at all. Like there's actual moments of humor. Things are, are sometimes very, very funny. Uh, like I said, can't repeat any of them, but they're very, very funny. <laughs> and um, and so far, like overall, it's hopeful, like is, is cool. what I'm getting out of it. Well, that helps a lot yeah. because sometimes when you read the synopsis of a show, you sort of have a uh, feeling that maybe this isn't going to be as inspiring or as happy or as intriguing or whatever yeah. right up your alley. And so it helps to hear. I've seen the show advertised, read the synopsis, but then we got around to watching it because... Maybe I, as as you say, it's, you have to get your head around it and understand what's going on with the show and have a deeper understanding of it. So thanks for sharing that with us. And with that, yeah. we're going to have to bring the first segment to a close. In the second okay. of the show, we'll get to my favorites. But first, a commercial break. Folks, we'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. Hello there, all you fabulous background mode listeners. I'm Kelly Gamont with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Mac Mall, just go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO, or you can just enter macobserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and our other affiliates. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction. Pretty cool, right? And you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMO's daily news, reviews, tips, how-tos, and podcasts like this one. So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John. We're back. I'm chatting with TMO contributing editor, Kelly Gumont. Kelly, I want to talk about a movie I just saw that I th- I'm yes. just going to light you up. So I'll start off with <laughs> Toy Story 4. The, oh, the reason yay. I want to talk about that is because I'm a big fan of the Toy Story series, but I kind of drifted into indifference a little bit until somebody said, I didn't think that uh, Pixar could p- create a Toy Story 4 that would be fresh and interesting and fun, and they did it. 
And so I thought, okay, I got to see this. I forget who said that. I forget who I saw said yes. that. Maybe it was on Twitter. But uh, my wife and I watched it the other night, and Toy Story 4 is amazing. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. And um, it has all sorts of overtones. And, and not only is a kid's movie, but it also has this overlaying structure that can apply to adults as well, which makes it fun for adults to watch. So Absolutely. I really enjoyed that um, aspect of it. And what, what, it really, yeah, what I really I enjoyed it, about, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I saw it this summer, and one of the things that struck me about it, because we don't see a lot of this anymore, is um, that this legitimately is a family movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's stuff for kids, you know, there's action stuff and silly stuff, and, you know, falling down, pie in the face kinds of things. But there's also, like, really subtle stuff and more uh, personal themes about, like, life and and, you know, all, like, all kinds of other conversations that can happen around it uh, at the same time. That's also for the adults, because I would argue that the other ones were only in the same way that the other ones were only sort of kids movies. This is only really sort of a kids movie because there's a lot in it for adults to like as well. And I was one of those people that was really skeptical about there being a fourth toy Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. because you've told me such a beautiful story that fit into three films so perfectly and it was so good and so well done and the care that goes into all those characters was so phenomenal like where is there left for you to go and i really didn't think they were gonna have anywhere what was interesting to me me was uh, this character called forky bonnie the (laughs) little girl uh, is in her first day at kindergarten, and she's kind of lonely, and she's being ignored. And uh, her box of crayons is kind of taken away by a young boy, and so she's sitting there in a funk. And um, she ends up constructing a little personal friend out of what's in the trash, thanks to Woody. Mm-hmm. And it's a spork. And some sticks and some wire. And she creates this beloved character out of nothing and calls it Forky. And, and, and for the first maybe 30 minutes of the show, all Forky wants to do is return to the trash. Because that's when, <laughs> from whence yeah, he came or she came. It's a little animated character. I don't know if it was he or she. They never described. Did they? It's just Forky. I think I think they might mention a him. Um, that's the best I can do. I think I might think he's a, that Forky is male because I know that Tony Hale is the voice of the character. Yeah. So, what's What's amazing is is that uh, a child can create a relationship with something that came out of the trash, and there's all sorts of allegory there and, and hidden meaning and and. And uh, touching commentary on the nature of children and their unqualified love for something that came out of the trash. And that's one level of the movie. Another level of the movie is is that toys need kids. And they're kind mm-hmm. of, you know, they don't have a life unless they're paired up with a kid. And so there's several instances in the movie where it's brought out that the toys need children. And that's kind of an inverse way of saying that the children need the toys as well, but it's a different perspective. And the other thing that, mm-hmm. that, that I really loved about the movie was, I, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar having worked with supercomputers in the past, 
a little bit familiar with rendering and the computer-generated imagery, and it is breathtaking. You know, you watch the progression of computer-generated imagery throughout the years, and this one made a startling advance. Uh, we could do photorealistic human beings, by the way, and, and the, the uh, arcade uh, young man is a suggestion in, in the past, We've seen almost photorealistic uh, human beings. It's, it's definitely apparent in Xbox military games. Yes. So computers can generate photorealistic humans. But the art and science of storytelling almost requires that the characters have a certain kind of look about them that is cartoonish in a sense, and a throwback to earlier days of the best we could do in simulation. Whereas we can do a lot better now, but for artistic and theatrical and, and other reasons the Disney cho- and Pixar chooses to make these children look, you know, cartoonish in a way. Mm-hmm. And I find that kind of an interesting perspective. And the other thing that took my breath away was the rendering of the highways and the cars and the antique shop, the curio cabinet and the antique shop, the city streets, the buildings, the detail, the amusement mm-hmm. park, the almost photorealistic background amidst characters which are not so photorealistic at all. And I, I, it just occurred to me that I think maybe that assists in the storytelling because you're not focusing on the photorealistic character or the person. You're not identifying it with any one person or movie. Person mm-hmm. that you've seen, you don't try to size up their size, weight, shape, color, or whatever. So keeping them cartoonish helps you focus on the story. So I thought that was interesting. And well, finally, yeah, what I thought I, was interesting was that Mo- Woody finally moves on. There's a sense of closure. Yeah, um, I I really loved it, and part of it was kind of the the stylistic stuff. Um, you know how how the rest of the characters look, and uh, you know, like you, like I looked at some of the animation and stuff, not necessarily because I spent a lot of time working with supercomputers or anything, but just. Uh, as an animation nerd, uh, because I have loved animation in many forms for basically my whole life. And everything from, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons as a kid to, um, to the kind of stuff that we get now and, you know, everything in between and how those things evolved and, you know, watching, uh, stop motion animation, you know, even, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas and things like that. And uh, one of the things that I remember vividly going to the theater and seeing was Toy Story, the original one in 1995, because it was nothing I had ever seen before. And we can do a whole podcast about like <laughs> about all those all those sorts of things. Like there were three times in my life that I can think of that I went to a theater and I saw something that I had never seen before. And like, the the only thing I wanted to do when the movie was over was walk back into the lobby and buy another ticket and go see it again. Because what I had just seen was amazing and wonderful and fantastic. And I just wanted as much of that as I could get my hands on. And Toy Story was one of those um, as a thing I'd never seen before. And what, you know, what it looked like and how different it was from the other sorts of computer animation we kind of saw at the mm-hmm. time. And all of that. And, you know, and, you know, like you said, um, especially at that point, because computer animation 
was such a new thing like you really had to nail it on the story because otherwise everybody was going to get hung up on how weird it looked or uh you know how wrong something was or you know perspective wasn't right storytelling by pixar and john lasseter has been stellar and these are really touching great great stories that you can just get wrapped up in i don't think i looked at my watch once i i just kind of went burned right through this movie i was immersed in it didn't get bored for a second yeah and that's really important um because you know otherwise uh people get distracted like i said you know by the animation it looks weird um you know the people are are funny whatever um you know and there was there there were some other little fun moments in this like um uh one of the characters is a guy who's based on evil couldn't evil um uh, Duke Kaboom was his name, and by he was played delightful. Played by Keanu Reeves' voice, by the way. Yes, amazing, he was, and he was, he was so amazing. good. Yeah. yeah, he was wonderful, and you know all those all those little sorts of moments in in the movie. Like I really liked all of them, and and uh, and you know, like I said, I was not a person who was excited about there being a fourth Toy Story movie, and yeah, they I wasn't either. Really until did I, it justice. Somebody I really didn't know. Tickled my sense of uh, curiosity about how they could do another one and they did it and they did it in style and yeah. it's a superb movie well we gotta move on I got time for one more okay something I should have talked about a long time ago but never got to one of my staples is on network CBS called Madam Secretary oh okay it is a story originally about um, Elizabeth McCord played by Taya Leone who mm-hmm. is the Secretary of State and it's been on now. They're starting their sixth season. And at the beginning of the sixth season, she's, after five years as Secretary of State, she wins the presidency. <clears throat> you may have sensed that there's a bit of allegory here. If you're a fan of West Wing, <laughs> you will be a fan of Madam Secretary. The reason is, is because Madam Secretary, in my mind, is all about an American cultural vision of what we want to see in our Secretary of State and what we want to see in our president. It's the aggregate, admittedly, in a, from Barbara Hall and her associates, but it is a uniquely well-done cultural view of what American presidency and what American politics should be like, what it's all about, the best we could hope for. And, of course, they don't always have stories that are true to life. Sure. Sometimes you get the feeling that maybe it's you know, a little bit artificial. But on the other hand, they parallel popular events and sometimes uh, very closely to the point where it's painfully similar. And they play <laughs> out what you what you would perhaps like to see an American Secretary of State or an American president be like. Elizabeth McCord was formerly a CIA agent, so she's got some grit. And then she runs for the president, and now she's dealing with crises, like she's accused of manipulating the election uh, against her opponent, and uh, she's coping with that. And we, it's a sort of a, a mirror of our American culture. And, you know, you, you watch the news and you read what's going on on your iPad with the news and your heart sinks. And then you watch Madam Secretary and you say, well, you know, this is kind of interesting and kind of cool. Maybe things could go this way in a different timeline. And that would be <laughs> awfully nice. Tio Leone is brilliant, and Tim Daly plays her husband, uh, who is oh, okay. now Mr. Uh, First Gentleman, I guess. 
and he works in the White House as well because he has a technical and military background and uh, so he has jobs to do in the White House as well so she goes up the stairs and he goes down the hall and they both go to work um, so if you're a West Wing fan I assume you're already watching it but if for some some chance you've missed Madam Secretary and a glimpse of what it would be what an, in a different timeline what it might be like to have in the best of all possible worlds uh, an American president and American secretary of state true to the identity of the American Constitution, our cultural values and our themes and our best hopes. It's a very entertaining show. So that's Madam that Secretary. Yeah, that's not one I've watched. So I'll have to check that out. That sounds it. It sounds interesting. I do like political shows. I did like The West Wing a lot. So this this sounds like something that should be up my alley. I can't believe I let it go this long. Well, you get to see her as president now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can catch up on CBS All Access. Yeah. All I right. Well, I bet they, they let us do that. We're out of time. Wow. Okay. That really flew. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Thanks for telling me about your cool well, shows. You, you let watched. me go first. You, you knew we weren't going to get to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Put in a good word for Victoria on Netflix. Victoria is oh. in season three. And unlike Rain, which I, I got tired of, and unlike The Tudors, which I got a little bit tired of, I'm never tired of Victoria. There's something about Jenna Coleman. She's from Doctor Who Heritage, 2012 to 17. She's yeah. cute. She's strong. Watching her deal with a world of men trying to take power away from her, her dealings with Parliament, her dealings with, uh, with her husband, her strength of character, Jenna Coleman is just brilliant as uh, Queen Victoria, who was Queen of England from 1838 to 1901, had nine kids. Mm -hmm. Strong, influential, powerful woman who spanned generations. And Jenna Coleman is just cute as a button. And I really enjoy the writing and the, and the acting and, and the characters. And it it's kind of reminds me of Downton Abbey in some ways, the, 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 the underpinnings of the British culture keep showing through and I'm constantly curious to see how things were like in the 19th century mm -hmm. um, so you don't have a strong character like the Tudors or Henry VIII overpowers the whole show yeah so um, I put it a good word for Victoria now in season 3 appearing on Netflix so and with that I didn't know season 3 was out to, so we have to close so yeah Kelly it's been a great enjoyable experience thank you for joining me on Background Mode, After Dark, the John and Kelly show. <laughs> you are more than welcome. It's always my pleasure to come talk to you. And I, just, I always learn new stuff. Uh, Madam Secretary is a really good show. And I should be... And I didn't realize Victoria Season 3 was out. So, yeah. All right. So that's going to wrap it up. You've been listening to John Marcellaro and Kelly Gumont talk about their favorite movies and TV shows on the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll be back next week. Thank you.